What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is episode 345 of Alohomora for April 9th, 2022. Welcome to another episode of Alohomora, MuggleNet.com's in depth exploration of the Harry Potter series. I'm Rex Haddon. I'm Sam Williams. And I'm Tracy Dunstan. And our guest is Rita Shipko. Can you tell us about yourself, your house, how you got into Potter, all that jazz? Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Tracy. Thanks for having me on. Um, so my house is sort of Slytherin, used to be Slytherin. Now I feel like I might be gravitating a little bit more toward Ravenclaw. Uh, but I got into Harry Potter when I was very young. I mean, I think I was seven or eight and my parents... Uh, bought me a book because someone else was reading it and it's probably very similar to a lot of other people. It's just been uh, a pretty big obsession ever since, but it's really interesting now that I'm 30, I've kind of gone through seasons of my life where I'm closer to the books and Harry Potter in general. Um, And then at some points I'm farther and it's actually very nice because I kind of went through a distance period over the last, I would say year and a half where I haven't been as involved, I haven't really rewatched the movies, haven't reread the books as much. And so it was really nice uh, to be asked to come, come back and host this podcast again and have a reason to kind of think about one of my favorite topics once again. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for being here. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. This episode is all about our hottest, most burning, sunlight-filled, fiery... Burn down a house takes, also known as hot takes, <laughs> not hot pockets. Oh, I love a good hot pocket. <laughs> <laughs> we will be unleashing our most controversial opinions with also a bunch of controversial opinions from our editor as well. Thank you, Patrick. And we want to remind you listeners that we just started releasing Full Circle to the general public. So just search your favorite podcast app for that, as well as the unofficial Harry Potter Compendium Volume 1 for Sorcerer's Stone is coming out on April 19th, 10 days after this episode's aired. And it's just in time for our 10th anniversary as well. Head over to unofficialharrypottercompanion.com for links and more to purchase it. 
And this episode is sponsored by Zelantra on Patreon. Thank you, Zelantra. Thank you, Zelantra. We definitely appreciate it. Um, and to sponsor an episode like Zelantra, just um, you can join Patreon. You can also get ad-free versions of the show. Um, you can sponsor for as little as $2 a month. And on Patreon, you can get access to bonus audio. You can get behind the scenes. Um, if you're in one of the higher tiers, you can have um, each month we have a Zoom with the hosts. And the Discord that's there is also getting more popular and it's a fun place too. So if you go to visit patreon.com slash more, you can find out more about being a Patreon and all the perks that you get with it. And now it is time for our shout out Maxima. This is from episode 343, which was titled Cool Motive, Still Murder. It's a great one. You should go back and listen to it. It's a good uh, and there's this is a two-parter um, because we had a new listener come and comment on our podcast, Yay. which was awesome. Ooh. Thank you, Alexandra Kudo, um, who said, found you yesterday and I'm really enjoying it. I don't know if I start from the beginning or if I go backwards. Our gig, 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 um, which I don't know if we have we have thoughts on. But Bellatrix is a queen. Responded. I found the podcast about a year ago and listened from the beginning, um, though it seemed daunting at the time. Helped me get to know the podcast and familiarize myself with inside jokes such as Desk Pig and Mandrake Liberation Front. Thank you, Noah. So thank you to Alexander Kudo for uh, finding us, listening us, and commenting. We always love hearing from our commenters, and especially if you are new, we would love to, you know, see that you're with us. The actual one that we will be discussing for our Shout Out Maxima is from Davy B. Jones 999. And uh, Davy B. Jones is discussing if Hermione dies in the first book. Davy B. Jones says... With Hermione dying in the first book, I want to mention that I think the biggest difference is where Hermione dies. If she dies at the potion in book one, I agree they, as in Ron and Harry, are both screwed and the series ends in book two with the Basilisk or with in three with the Mentors or in four with Voldemort. But if she's killed by the troll, I want to push back on the fact that now Harry and Ron wouldn't be able to figure out anything. Without Hermione, they would actually be forced to study rather than just be all, it doesn't matter because Hermione will tell us the correct answer. They would actually have to spend more time on the books, and maybe they'd become better at magic. I agree, though, that they'd be screwed in book two, but maybe now Harry and Ron don't have a falling out in book four because Hermione's death makes them closer? End of comment. So they're saying if Hermione died, Harry wouldn't only be using one spell. He would actually be (laughs) using multiple spells. (laughs) <laughs> well, Hermione did teach him a lot of spells. True. They just did it stick. Yeah. But wouldn't this also kind of just lead to them absorbing Dean Thomas because he was supposed to be a part of it? And he was raised yeah. in the Muggle world. So he would have that logic sense. Ooh, that's a good point. I wonder if, honestly, if it's Ginny that fills in for Hermione after a couple of books. Oh. I don't know. I don't think Ron would... Let her in yet. I feel like he'd be like, oh, you're my little sister. She also has a huge crush on Harry. So I don't think she's talking to him at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's why I said after a couple books, once she finds her stride. But I don't think Ginny actually finds her stride without Hermione's, like, uh, what is it? Direction. Because hmm. isn't Hermione the one that's like, yeah, cool down a bit, Ginny. And Ginny's like, oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, yeah, take a break. Relax a little bit. Stress your hormones down. 
take some melatonin and go to sleep. <laughs> Do you think Harry and Ron would still have a – I thought they would still have a falling out in book four. Just because I think John's jealousy sure. wouldn't go away. Yeah, I don't think Hermione is changing his, like, little bar- brother complex. Yeah. I also – I think I want to push back on this comment a bit because, like, they're saying that if she dies at the potion, then everybody's screwed. But not if she dies at the troll. And if she doesn't – if she dies at the troll, I think Harry and Ron get strangled by Devil's Snare. Because she's the one that gets them out of that situation. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but if she, how would they be screwed at the potions because... Devil's Snare was before potions. No, Yeah, but if she died at the potions, because theoretically Harry could still choose the correct potion to continue... In Voldemort's after the he's got a, potion. He's got a one in nine shot, though. But that's better than zero. <laughs> Chances are low, but never zero. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think if Hermione dies at the potions, I don't think Harry knows what to do. Um, and so most He most would take likely, one he, as a gamble, and because he's yes. the title character... It would be the right one. <laughs> oh, because he's, okay, so we're gonna get to your little uh, Harry's only important because he's the he's the title character thing in a bit. So hide your feelings. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, listen, he's got an eight and nine shot, and if we're not just saying that he has plot armor, because if he has plot armor, then then this whole what if is stupid because he survives no matter what. But if he doesn't have plot armor, he's got an eight and nine shot. He obviously won't drink the one that Hermione died. So he's got what? A now he's got a, a seven, seven and eight, and which eight. is better than an eight and nine. Yeah, yes, that is true. Those those analytics are working out. <laughs> I still think that they die in book two, even if he manages to stop Coral. Because of the slithery snake. Yeah, because it, Harry doesn't know to. Cl- a doesn't know where to go, and B doesn't know to close his eyes. Mm. And I just, I just doubt that Harry's got the drive to study as much as he does the drive to do practical magic. And so, unless he finds a teacher that's going to sort of just drill him through the practical side of things, and that way he learns because he's such a kinesthetic learner, I just feel like he definitely. But I feel like they would absorb Dean and Seamus if Hermione did. Are they super one. smart though? Are they going to figure out that the, it's a basilisk? I don't know. Talking to snakes, but they were able to do things without Hermione, so they know at least how to study. Or maybe Neville would be more <laughs> of a thing too. I can see that that's more than where, that's where Neville I was is a person. Too. I forgot like, about him. Neville could fill in like a third of what Hermione could yeah. offer. So you need like three characters. All the herbology stuff they'd pass. Cool. That was a good comment, though. I like it. It was a great comment. Thank you, Davey B. Jones, 999. All right. So if you love Aloha More and want to help us out, please leave a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to the show on. Um, we will pick out our favorites, and we've been reading some of them on the episodes. So thank you for all your support. Now on to the discussion. Boom. Here we go. All right. Timekeeper, you got the time? I do. Excellent. Patrick, if you could insert a gothic bell toll for each time we're done instead of uh, Tracy's alarm, because we don't want to murder the that listeners' ears. That would be ears. so cool. Um, does anyone want to take reading Patrick's? Oh, could I be the reader? Yeah, go for it. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, so our first hot take is... People like these books way too much. Boo! That's why we're here. Rita, you want to take this one? Uh, I just agree with Tracy on that, in that um, these books were particularly, I, from from my personal experience, these were these got me through a move of countries, and one of the things that I absolutely love about them is that they have been translated to almost every language that exists, and it's a common ground to talk to almost anyone our age, or I don't know how old you guys are, but anyone within like, from like that 15 to, I would say 40 age range, uh, if they've been introduced to Harry Potter. So nope, I, I don't agree with Patrick's hot take. I think that, yes, people do like these books way too much. And just kind of thinking at the height of the series, so when the books were still coming out, like, if you didn't like the Harry Potter series because you don't have to like it, a lot of people looked at you weird because it is, it was, it is, I don't really know if it's present or past tense. Um, it's one of the most best-selling book series out there and has a large fan base. And fans can get crazy. I think anytime you have sort of a mass excitement around anything, whether it's like, you know, the Beatles or Michael Jackson, or apparently I can only think of music. Um, or like even uh, Tolkien's when, when the Lord of the Rings series was released and that was such a huge, huge, um, you know, sales went on for that, etc. There's always going to be sort of a, a bell curve where that, that the fandom peaks really high and the people are crying and the other people are spoiling the fact that Snake kills Dumbledore. Um, and like people are super upset. Or that Jenny kisses Albus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't know that that's their child's name and you're confused. Yeah, exactly. And so I think there's always going to be like a height. And I, I don't think any of that is about liking these books way too much. I think the only time you really delve into liking books too much is when you start acting in your real life based off of a work of fiction, like being like, what would this character do? Or what would, what would I do in this situation? And like putting that into your real life. I think that's when it becomes way too much. Uh, otherwise, like 
Yeah, man, there's no, I'm not yucking anyone's yum. You like whatever you want as much as you want. What was that expression? Yucking someone's yum? I've yucking never heard that. Oh, I love awful. using that phrase. I've never heard that it's, either. It's like, I only ran into it like a year ago, but I've been using it vociferously. Oh, I'm adopting that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that not a common phrase? Because I've known about that for years. Um, I think it depends on age. <laughs> And uh, how close you are to people who are younger. Because that's definitely like more of a younger millennial Gen Z term than it is anything else. Oh, oh I am a 92 baby. Me, Me too. too. Oh, you guys are all 92. Woo, 92s. Oh, I'm the old one here, I guess. <laughs> I'm 86. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, Sam, you're probably older than me because I'm a December baby. Oh, yes, I am. I'm a June. Rita, you just turned 30 then, right? I did. I turned 30 in February, but I'm clearly not down with like the cusp Gen Z lingo. (laughs) (laughs) It's only because I'm a teacher and I teach Gen Z. Oh, there you go. That's what I wanted to ask you, Sam. Like, it seems like at least on TikTok that it's kind of not cool to like Harry Potter. Is that true? With the kids? Um, So I was just talking a lot. So I'm moving from being a ninth grade teacher to a 10th grade teacher. And I haven't told my ninth graders yet that I'm going to be their English teacher next year. And I've been thinking about, like, how to rewrite that curriculum. Sorry, this is, like, a really roundabout way of answering your question, Tracy. But I was thinking about introducing a Harry Potter project. And so I've asked every kid that's in the LGBTQ um, community in that year, what are their thoughts about having rolling uh, a part of their learning experience? And the consensus was, oh, my gosh, most of us have already read it and we loved it. That would be so cool to do as a school project. But we do not want to give money to rolling in any way, shape, or form, so we wouldn't want the school to have to buy books. So it it seems like, at least with this very small community in Redwood City, California, that they're down with um, the the content, but not the um, not the author. And and so it seems like on TikTok and stuff, like we're seeing, basically, you're seeing like the shame and, and cancel aspect of that gets a lot more views because mm-hmm. we have a tendency to click on negative views. Um, and so some of that other stuff, at least from what I'm seeing is from the younger generations that they're like, oh, no, actually, we love the thing, but not the person. Gotcha. You know what? Not to sorry, not to jump into like problem solving, but there are so many copies of these books floating around. I bet you if you mm-hmm. posted, if you like sent, hey, send them to this P.O. box, I bet you, you could grab like 35 copies like that. You oh, know, that was so people sweet. would donate that to you so that, you know, there's no dilemma around the uh, school having to go purchase new books. That's so nice yeah, of you because I just sweet. went straight to thievery. <laughs> <laughs> there's a PDF copy online somewhere. I'll just yeah. take that. <laughs> that was the timer. So I guess we have to move on to number two. Uh, the second hot take is the Harry Potter book series are fiction and should not be treated as anything but fiction. Correct. Are we done? Well, yeah, like, yeah, yeah woohoo, I, I go agree. team. Uh, yeah. Rita, you got anything else for that one? No, I mean, yeah. agreed. Okay. Listeners, let us know what you think. Coming in with another tepid take for number three. <laughs> <laughs> is the Harry Potter book, wait, oh, that is what that says. The Harry Potter books are children's books. Yes, they are. Yes. That's- but they evolve later on in the series. I do think like five, six, and seven are more young adult in a way. Yeah, I think I think the essence that Patrick is getting at here is like 
sort of, I, there was a, there's a famous uh, reviewer for the Washington Post named uh, Ron Charles. And he, his like big claim to fame was a, a whole series about like adults shouldn't read Harry Potter. And I think maybe that's what Rex is getting at, which is like, why do adults and older teens read Harry Potter when they're clearly just for children? And if you're going to industry standards, books 11 and 12 are considered children's books because the main character is 11 and 12. Then they are considered young adults from 13 through 17. So I assume that Patrick is being like, yeah, why are we reading this? But I think the answer is pretty clear. There's a lot of universal themes in here. And it's a fun world escapism that adults still like to read about teenagers. I know in the library we have books one and one through two. One and two are in the children's room and then the rest are either in a, there's some in adult and some in the um, teen room. Mm-hmm. You don't have the entire series together? It bugs me, but no, we don't. <laughs> but I don't buy that section, so I have no say over that. Oh. But yeah, but my other library I worked at, we did have them all together in the uh, adult section. Mm-hmm. And the next, are we done with this one? Yeah. 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 Uh, our next hot take is who, okay, one, I want to start after I read this. Okay. Go for it. Yeah. Um, who is the more overrated character in the Harry Potter fandom, Hermione or Lupin? So these are my two favorite characters, so they are not <laughs> overrated. Agreed. How many? I love that those are your two favorite characters. I'm so I, that makes me like you so much. <laughs> oh well, um, get to a more controversial opinion of mine later on. Yes. Mm-hmm. So to not to play devil's advocate because I still I love both these characters so much, but what I would say for Hermione is because we haven't had a super strong history of amazing female characters like Hermione. She gets used as an example, like at every single, every single time you ask a panel of women, like, who's your favorite female character? Hermione's going to be, her name's going to be thrown in to discussion. Mm -hmm. So is it overrated? Probably not. But it's also, we just haven't had that kind of representation in some of, we have since, but not until then, not for like 50 years before then. So um, maybe that's the only defense for Hermione being maybe slightly overrated. And I think the movie kind of does that too, because she's almost near perfect in the movies, where I just refinished a, a reread of the whole series um, not that long ago. And I did, I, she's my second favorite character, but I did find her a little bit more annoying in reading the series again. Because mm-hmm. um, she's she's kind of like prickly. She's, um, she's not that open-minded sometimes. And I think that the film kind of makes her just like kind of washes that all away and she's just the perfect character like you're saying people always use her as an example so i still like her but i can see why i would pick her lupin i think lupin i just like lupin i don't know i think he's perfect i think he's good he's flawless yeah i think um we you know we don't get that many we don't have many male characters that are sort of big in our lives that are meek men right because he's he's a very meek person Mm -hmm. um and he's gentle and he's kind and he is sometimes foolish and ha- he seems to bottle up his emotions and lash out. I think if I'm understanding this the way that sort of Patrick is reading this, Lupin is part of that second tier of characters that people sometimes pick their favorite from. So you've got Harry, Ron, Hermione, and then maybe you could put Tom Riddle up there too. Maybe Dumbledore in that top tier. And then you've got like... The Hagrids, the Siriuses, the Molly Weasleys, the like Fred and George, and then you've got Lupin. And 
Lupin maybe has the least amount of page time of those characters. And maybe so that's what Patrick is sort of looking at being like, like we don't have know that much about him and people love him so much and they sort of overlove him. And but like his for, impact for on the has, series yeah, is so is large. so big yeah. because one, he made Dada fun. Mm-hmm. Like when they talked about Dada class, it, I wanted to do that. And he took the time to like nurture Harry in a way mm-hmm. and help him with those extra classes. Yeah. Would he have done this if Harry was not one of his best friend's kids? I think so. He probably still would if the situation was the same. And just. Yeah him showing that he is this very knowledgeable man though the wizarding community thinks so negatively of him because of his lycanthropy Mm -hmm. just shows the reader that you can still be good at things Mm -hmm. you can be beneficial to society even if society says no and this might be why a lot of like I was just like I really identify with Lupin and I'm not sure if that's just because I'm gay um and there's the whole like anthropy to AIDS thing but just showing mm-hmm. a lesser community um can still be beneficial is something that I really liked growing up time timer Okay, our next hot take is Hogwarts is Hogwarts does not need a therapist. It doesn't. I think Hogwarts agrees. Why? It does not need a therapist. I was like, why? Why? Because the wizarding community is so behind in Muggle times that they aren't at the area of psychology. And so that means that they don't need one. Well, they just don't know I, about it. I understand it. that that means that they. Uh, so. But going sure like know not about knowing like, about psychology, why would you hire a therapist when you don't know what psychology is? Um, I would hazard a guess that Dumbledore knows what psychology is as he keeps up with the times. I would also suggest that uh, the Muggle Studies teacher knows, and like it's pretty standard uh, in the British school system at this time for there to have, be school counselors. So, but this is I the think, wizarding community. Yes, but you, you, your headmaster is one of the most knowledgeable people about muggles. But he could go in the mindset of, I'm fine without a therapist. Well, that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't need it. Just because Dumbledore might think we don't need one doesn't mean that they don't. Like, I think it's pretty clear that there's an, enough trauma at the school, especially after the Battle of Hogwarts, that they need to have mental health professionals there. So they, they need Wait, one. I'm sorry. Are you saying it was common, it is common now to have a school counselor or it was common then like early 90s for school yes, to Yes, correct. It was, I believe it started in the 70s or 80s. Uh, uh, became school, school counselors were like a thing in the 90s, at least the late 90s. Okay. I mean, yeah, after, especially after book four, especially after a student is murdered maybe they should have done something where it's like, okay, we're all collectively experiencing grief. Let's talk about it instead of just one yeah. speech. Mm-hmm. Clearly Cho needs a, needs a therapist in book five. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Clearly, Harry needs one, too, with his nightmares. And probably Jenny after Chamber of Secrets. And, oh, yeah. Or at least the counselor, because even when um, when they're picking their careers, if there's not anybody who's really there if they could talk to you about that either, I don't think. I mean, both Conical kind of does it, but it's not very in-depth. Mm. Yeah, maybe it's kind of the function of the head of house. You know, you go to McGonagall, and I can't imagine anyone going to Snape with their wills. Yeah. That would be interesting. Are we finished? Shall we move on? Yeah. yeah. Great. So our next hot take is liking a bad guy does not mean you are a bad guy. This, yeah, like, Grace is, like, Tom's Bar- biggest fan. The most evil person I've ever met. And clearly. I don't I don't see her as a bad guy, but I, I don't know her thoughts on if she's the villain or not. <laughs> she's not the protagonist of her own story. She's the villain of her own story. It probably depends which, uh, why you like the bad guy. If you're like, oh, Draco Malfoy, he's just broken and he can be set on the right path then it's a little bit different than like, oh yeah, I'm really on board with the genocide. Yeah. I This this really gets into the whole like uh, having a Death Eater tattoo or not, because there's a, a, you know, a bunch of people out there that's like, that's basically a wizard Nazi. Why would you have a swastika, a wizarding swastika on your body? That's so stupid. And then there's like, there's the people who are like, I like the aesthetic of the wizarding world. I like the design of this. And Draco Malfoy is my favorite character. Like that's all this represents to me. It doesn't represent the fact that I like genocide. But then, of course, you might also get people who are like, listen, this is clearly, uh, you know, I'm, I I really like the idea of superiorness. <laughs> and then you're like, hmm, maybe not. And it kind of goes back. I feel like it's kind of all tying into the whole like, oh, if you're Slytherin, you're evil kind of thing, which obviously isn't true. But some people, sometimes it gets equated that way, unfairly. Well, that's because that's what the book series did. And mm-hmm. it was pretty much... Like, for me, at least, definitely towards the end of the series, just kind of learning more about what Slytherin is and them not being evil. True. Because one of the only good things about Cursed Child is Scorpius, and he's he's Slytherin, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, so is the same with Albus. I hate Albus, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, but fine. I wonder if that's a hot take. <laughs> it is. Did you put that in your hot takes that you hate Albus? I should. You hate a literal child? I don't hate a child. See, Sam, thanks. Don't hate he is a child. <laughs> Just the character. He is a child. And the book. But if we're talking about the book series, he's like not even existed. Albus Dumbledore? I'm kidding. Well, I guess if you include the epilogue. <laughs> Yeah. Which do you? Is it is it just uh is it just fan fiction? I'm kidding. That should have been a hot take that I put in. We can't we don't have time to discuss that. Yeah. Should we go on to number seven? Yeah. Speaking of cursed child. <laughs> there should have been no ancillary information released about the Harry Potter world after the release of the seventh and final book. Agree. Strong yeah. agree. Strong agree as well. So I go ahead, Rex. Is this just saying should Cursed Child not have come out or should like all the extra little thingy like Pottermore not have come out? I think it's all of the like it's the little books that came out that like gave McGonagall's background or told you how to become a um what's it called an Animagus. It's it's the Fantastic Beasts. It's the uh, Cursed Child. It's all everything after book seven should not have been created. We should have just had the seven books and that's it. 
Uh, I think if that happened, the fandom would have stopped soon after. Yeah, we wouldn't be making this podcast. Really? I don't know. There's people who are still like Lord of the Rings fans and Star Wars. Well, Star Wars never ends either. But Same with Lord of the Rings. They've got a new thing coming out. They do? Yeah, yeah. there's a new show called Rings of Power on Amazon that's coming out uh, in the next couple of years. Okay, never mind then. <laughs> Stand corrected. Um, I So... I think the the essence that I'm getting off of this is like the all of this extra stuff has just muddled the waters of those seven books and has divided the fandom in some way, shape, or form. And like you know, now we're getting McGonagall's non-canonical appearance in Fantastic Beasts. So does that mean those movies? And it just complicates everything. I will say, in terms of funding the project, like Lumos, I, I want Lumos to get as much money as possible to help orphans out. And so I don't mind anybody who's turning their whatever their idea is into a product that creates a ton of money as long as that cash cow is sort of giving into reputable charities that act that aren't just there for tax dodging and actually create a change that and there therefore i'm down with all the ancillary stuff because i i feel comfortable just being my own harry potter fan with my own set of what's canon and not having it to to listen to anybody else who i disagree with but lumos came out before the last book Correct. So I'm saying, I'm not saying that Lumos shouldn't exist. I'm saying that oh. all the money created by the ancillary stuff that helps to fund Lumos, like that's why I'm down with it because all of that money is being oh, turned out okay, and okay. helps out Lumos a lot. I think that's a really much more well thought out and like much more global take on it. I was thinking about it from like a purely selfish standpoint in that <laughs> every time there's something new Harry Potter, I get my hopes up and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to be, it's going to be great. And then for one reason or another, it doesn't meet my expectations. And so then it's just disappointment. And then I kind of reject it. And so that's mm -hmm. why it's like, no, just the seven books. But um, to your point, if people, if people choose to enjoy it, like people loved Cursed Child. And if that's, you know, that's their choice and that's um, good for them. And so mm -hmm. for me, it's the seven books for other people. It's the wizarding world in its totality or kind of an a la carte um, approach. So yeah, yeah. I, re I revise my take. Cause this is kind of tying into the next hot take. If you just, yeah. Um, but the point. Cause the next hot take is people think cursed child is canon are actually ruining the Harry Potter fandom, which what we're saying is, what Rita, you just pretty much said, you can, as fans, you can pick and choose what you want to believe. And I, like, Cursed Child could have been better. There are parts to it, but it got the author's stamp of approval as, like, being canonical. So I say it's canon, but, and I don't think I'm ruining the fandom. <laughs> Or is it just me, like, soul-heartedly? Me and Allison. I think when you're forced to make it canon is what the problem. Because, like, I like what Rita was saying about how you can kind of pick and choose and make your own version of how things go. But when people are saying that, no, this must be true. Like, I have a lot of, as you guys know, a lot of problems with Cursed Child. And I kind of ruin yep. sometimes when you read back the, when I'm reading back the story and I'm like, oh, well, no, because Harry becomes a, fa a terrible father. So actually the scene's not as, you know emotional or as, as poignant because you know how it ends. So I think that 
if I can just choose to not take that as canon, I think it's fine. Or anyone can take whatever they want. But when you're being forced to accept the extra stuff as canon, I think does kind of ruin the fandom a little bit. Because it's not letting people do choose what they want to get the enjoyment out of the series. Yeah, I think it's really... I always equate Cursed Child to to the sequel tri- trilogy of Star Wars, especially Last Jedi. Because, like, right, that's not created by George Lucas. It's created by other people who now have control over the... And it's not the same, because obviously... Oh, Rowan like, episode 7, approval. 8, and 9? Yeah, so episode 8, especially, like, the way that they use Luke Skywalker's character was very um, controversial to people. And and so, it, it for some people, it ruined, like, episodes 4, 5, and 6, because they're like, well, Luke just ends up being this way, and then he's done at the end of blah, blah, blah. And, like, I feel that was Cursed Child, and I think... The problem becomes with fan toxicity. It's not about if you believe Cursed Child's fine, you know, whatever, go for it. Uh, if you believe Cursed Child is not canon, that's cool too. It's when you start being insistent and trying to shove it down other people's throats that it becomes an issue. Exactly. Also, I, I also don't think that Rex and Allison are people that are ruining the fandom. I also like am sort of in the middle where I'm like, yeah, it's kind of canon, kind of not. I'm good either way. No, yeah. I just don't care enough about it, I suppose. <laughs> Like, I saw the show. And obviously, before anybody who's talking about Cursed Child really needs to see this show before they can. Because it's an awesome production. It's an awesome theater production. Yeah, that's fair. But it can also be an awesome theater production and exist outside of the, can- the canon. Like, that, that's true, too. And I don't think Rex and Allison are ruining the, sh- ruining the fandom either. <laughs> Just wait for our podcast. We're ruining the Harry Potter fandom to come out later oh, this yes. year. <laughs> yes. That's got to be the name. Surprise. Should be the title of the episode. Cursed fans ruining the <laughs> fandom. Are we ready for the next hot take, guys? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, that is fan fiction adds nothing positive to the Harry Potter fandom and helps encourage people to be entitled fans. I disagree so strongly. I love fan fiction. Yeah. How does it make them entitled? I would. Because they oh. write or read fan fiction. But there so, is like, if you right. do write or read fan fiction you need to realize that that is not book canon as much as i want some things to be book canon it's not like as much as i want mcgonagall and the giant squid to get together that is just fan fiction (laughs) i realize this contradicts my um previous statement on it's just the seven books for me but for me, fan fiction, once I discovered it, and I remember it was kind of one of those, like when Michael Scott describes when he discovered YouTube, where he was like, I just watched it for three days straight. <laughs> I mean, I went home after class in college and I was like, oh my gosh, I can literally sort stories by pairing and I can read. And it was just like, it was such a world of, oh my gosh, like, new writers and at no point did I think like oh no this is canon or like oh hey you should you should send uh, this to a, a publisher because we really need more things like Chris Child you know in binding but um no fan fiction I think is such a great escape for both writers and readers and honestly it, it was just so fun finding people that are really talented and then being able to encourage them and like throw suggestions when they ask for suggestions i I think fan fiction is an absolute positive. Agreed. It's so fun. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm, as I'm with, with almost all of the stuff, I'm like, yeah, it depends on how much you're like trying to force it onto other people. Because 
fan fiction is great. I have some fan fiction up somewhere in the world, some about Harry Potter. Well, not somewhere about Harry on Potter. the interwebs. It's, later. it's fine. It's on the interwebs. Yeah. Um, you shared it. It was really good. Oh day. yeah, good. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate. There's it. also Allison's fan fiction, yeah, which Allison's is iconic. Fiction. But I, I do with this last line here. It encourages people to be entitled fans. I think. There is a semblance of people in all major fandoms, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Blade Runner, yeah. I mean, anything that you could get, right? The mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, all of it, where if you have people who are like, I refuse to see these characters any other way than in this thing, or I, this is the way I really wanted it to happen, this is the way I envision it, and I'm so mad about the way that it turned out, when it's like, well, you're not in control of this product, you're not in, like, you don't have the IP on this, like, you can't do anything about it. I'm so sorry that you're upset about it because it wasn't what you wanted, but that's not a reason to to hate on the story. If that's the only reason why you're hating on the story is because it is because you it's not what you wanted. I think that becomes the issue. And sure, fan fiction can contribute to that, but is not the cause. Our next hot take is Prisoner of Azkaban is the worst Harry Potter movie, which is a false statement because it Boo. is my favorite film. Same. Oh, Same. really? I think it's my least favorite. What? Everyone's entitled to their wrong opinion, Tracy. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Tracy, please yep. uh, walk us through your garbage take. Thanks. <laughs> I think You're it's welcome. beautiful. I'm totally joking. <laughs> no, I know. You can have your own take. It's Is it just because made. of how it ends with the stretchy, hairy face? <laughs> is, a big part of it. It was <laughs> so corny. I think it's well-directed and well-made, and the visual effects are great, and it's beautiful to look at. But it's such a terrible adaptation of the book, and it always bugs me. Because I, not that I'm See, that, I think it's very close to the book. Oh, the whole Marauders part's taken out. Not that I love the Marauders really and, that much, but I think that kind of hurts the story. Sirius trying to murder Neville is is out of the movie too. Yeah. Or uh, not murdering Neville. It's when when Sirius pulls back the curtain and he's trying to kill Scabbers, and Ron's just in bed. That's all out of there. So it's because of the adaptation. So yes. I, tell me, Tracy, what is your favorite movie? Uh, part Deathly Hallows Part One. Really okay, camping? Yes, because yeah. <laughs> those are the that. So Part One and One and Two are the closest literal adaptations where it's like as as much of a page to page remake as you can get. Um, that's fascinating. So, uh, Tracy, I think the difference between you and I is what we're looking for in an adaptation. I'm not looking for a one-to-one adaptation um, where it's like as close to the book as possible. I look for it capturing the essence and I don't mind if things are changed. Like I, people hate the added scene in six, the mm-hmm. burning of the burrow. I'm like totally here for it. Um, that is but, the worst scene ever yeah. because cool. that's a huge reason why I hate Half-Blood Prince. I should have put, put that in a hot take uh, and I could still. But my point is here is I feel like Prisoner of Azkaban does the best job of capturing the tone of any of the books. That or the movie Order of the Phoenix. Um, they do. And so that's why I love, uh, you know, also it's Alfonso Cuaron and he's absolutely incredible. I um, do agree with you. But with yeah, that. that's why I love Prisoner of Azkaban is because it's the essence of that movie it, with the music and the visuals and the, the shot selection and the cinematography and the way they do the lighting. All of it just really hits home the message and the theme and the essence of Prisoner. It's definitely the one that captures the magic the best. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Rita. Go for it, Rita. Outside of book, or sorry, movie one, which is all exposition, this is the only movie that stands alone where I would feel comfortable going to one of my friends who's like, never heard of Harry Potter in their life and being like, hey, watch this movie. And 
they would be reasonably able to follow along and get to know the characters along the way. That being said, I also just think it has the highest cinematic value of all of them. Um, yeah. So I uh, d- disagree with this hot take. But wasn't this movie the least grossing Harry Potter film? I have no oh, idea. Good question. That being said, I remember being really upset when I walked out of this movie because I was like, they didn't even have the right, like the um, Thunderbolt scene um, correctly. Oh, yeah. You know, was or any of the, the Quidditch end. stuff that's in the movie. Yeah. I was really upset about that. And now I just realized that that was, you know, as a filmmaker, he made decisions and that's fine. And it served the plot really, really well. But at the time, it really upset me. You really can't put Quidditch in a movie. It really has to be only if they're going to do a long-form TV show. Then you can put that in like there. Like Quidditch Through the Ages? No, like any of the Quidditch games, really. It, it, it's so, it slows the first movie down so much, and then they really don't put it in for the rest of the series. Well, because, it because really, it's, like, it's only in the first movie so much because Harry almost gets bucked off the broom, and it's... Right. Yeah, it's only there for the Quirrell-Snape um, comparison. Because it's pretty much only in there if... It's like a key plot like yeah. device. They're not going to throw in a random game. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It only really belongs in long-form television where you can add in all of those side plots. Oh, okay, okay. So can I do like a V2, like a uh, shoot-off off of this uh, hot take? Yes. What's, can we go around the room and everyone say what they think the worst Harry Potter movie is? Well, we know what Tracy's is. <laughs> yes. Rex? Mine's Half-Blood. Okay, Rita? Uh, Goblet of Fire. Yeah, same. It's Goblet for me, too. Rita, we're best friends. I like Goblet. (laughs) It just, it it did not capture the magic for me. Yeah. Goblet is a mess. Okay, that was a short hot take. Nice. Okay. Uh, Number 11? uh, Our next hot take is the Marauders are not interesting and people need to stop pretending that they are. (laughs) Isn't it like a consensus in the fandom that... A Marauders spinoff should happen? Yes. Well, I'm. that's one of my hot takes later that we'll get to. Um, but in terms of these characters being interesting, I think that's absolutely... They're fascinating. Fascinating, but also blasphemous. Um, Sirius is fascinating. Remus is fascinating. Thinking about Peter Pettigrew's turn into... Like, what causes a person I think like Peter, that to betray his friends. Like, a Peter backstory would be so good because... what. How how did he get in the thruple with James, um, Sirius, and Remus? How yeah. did the thruple become a quadruple? Like, or is it is it just that those are the only people in the Gryffindor dorms? Like, what's happening? Yeah, there's well, a apparently lot there are a thousand students at Hogwarts, which mathematically doesn't make sense. So unless you're just saying that it's only five students per dorm room and that they're actually more Gryffindors or that it was a lull that there was a lot less children being born 11 years previous because, because of the war, the that could pilot. be a thing. Yeah. Which then I think that there would be a lull for Harry, for, for Lily and James because of Grindelwald being at the height of his power. But I don't know actually know if that math works out. But Grindelwald didn't affect the UK. No, 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 but, like, there's still, like, people are choosing oh, still not to talk. have babies right now because of Russia, Ukraine, <laughs> even though that's not affecting the United States. But that okay. wouldn't affect right now because people were pregnant before Russia and Ukraine. Right. I'm just saying that if this were to go on for years, you would see a lull in babies. That's almost always true when wars are occurring. Oh, and then we get, like, baby boom yeah, exactly. 2.0. Yeah. Especially if the United States yeah. were involved. That's a whole other thing, though. Um, I think they are fascinating. Um 
I'm not sure. Sh- well, yeah, we'll get about my, my take about whether or not they should be created into a thing. But yeah, I think they're fascinating. I think they're pretty interesting. Uh, so I don't think anyone's pretending. I don't think anyone's that pretending that they are. Like, Sirius Black is my favorite character. That's not me pretending. <laughs> He's Cat's yeah. least favorite character. <laughs> I know. We have I wonder discussed what Cat would want if she would want a Marauder's backstory. I feel like she spoke on this on the show before. Would love Cat's comments mm-hmm. on that. Are we yeah. good with that one? Mm-hmm. Okay. The next one is the Hogwarts houses were created the way they were to serve a purpose, and the Harry Potter fandom has taken them and turned them into something they are not. Gryffindor is the good house. Slytherin is the bad house. Ravenclaw is the nerd house. Hufflepuff is the house full of kids who are picked last for competitions. Um, As a Hufflepuff, I was not always picked last. I just want to throw it out there. I'm sure there was something that I was relatively towards the beginning picked for, but I don't remember. But, like, we know that all Slytherins aren't evil. We talked about that, what, 20 minutes ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scorpius and Albus. I think... Yeah, but... I think this is Albus just... Albus is trash. Yeah. I think this is just such a, a misnomer. And also, the author herself has come out about, like, wrote a whole Pottermore article about why Slytherin is an important house to have. And also, like, Horace Slughorn isn't evil. <laughs> um, Cedric Diggory definitely did not get picked last for competitions. Cedric Diggory was an athletic He got prodigy. picked first, actually. Yeah, he was actually captain. Um, as a Gryffindor, I was always picked last for competitions because I'm much more of a Neville Gryffindor than I ever was a Cedric Hufflepuff. Um, and also, like, I don't know, not everyone in Slytherin's evil, and that's fine. I, I, like Harry would have been a really good Slytherin. He's super cunning and very ambitious when he wants to be. Percy Weasley should have been a Slytherin, even though he's sort of garbage in the middle of the books. He ends up being a good guy. So, yeah. This is, there's so much but everyone canonical has textual a, evidence that disproves this. But everyone also just kind of has bits and pieces of every house. Of course. Mm-hmm. That's because the system of like dividing kids on attributes when they're 11 is not perfect. And like Dumbledore says, sometimes I think we sort too early. I, also, Severus Snape is not a bad guy at the end. He's like just an awful human he's being. He's a trash good character. No, he's a great character. You think character. his character is bad? He's a fantastic character. He's just a bad dude. He's not a bad guy. He's not an evil villain, but he's oh, a bad I, dude. Oh, I, like, do not like Snape. I don't As understand how people like, like Snape. I that's do one of my it. hot takes later. Okay, um, we'll get there. Yeah. That's been a hot take since day one, though. Yes. Uh, it ties into a, I would say, a newer hot take, but um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. But I, I think this is just a function of, you know, this the first book was was intended for children and then it evolved and um so she made one that was a little bit more evil this is the evil and then you know the other two are miscellaneous and ravenclaw is smart and hufflepuff is i, I don't know i can't remember what miscellaneous the were. yeah it's, uh, i'll take the is, rest is literally the the line in from the sorting app yeah, that's rude, honestly. <laughs> it's like, whoever's not special, come on over here. That's, I, I don't like that. But it's like such that. a good educator. It's like Helga Hufflepuff is an awesome person for doing it. Being like, okay, you guys are going with everybody, all of these things, fine. I'll just, I'll take everybody because everyone deserves to be educated. So is the Hufflepuff common room just 
gigantic then because they're taking like yeah, is there a be. year where they take like one Slytherin and two Gryffindors and everyone else goes to Hufflepuff and so then I've always wondered that yeah same mm-hmm. and not necessarily they're all going to Hufflepuff but what if that year everyone just goes to one house yeah mm-hmm. that'd be hilarious and I think she spends the rest of the series most of the series trying to disprove this thought like she's trying to show that like yeah. like you were, guys were saying well before. that's isn't that why that's why uh, Cedric was a Hufflepuff? Yeah. yeah. 100%. Cool. Okay. On to the next. Our next hot take is Richard Harris was a far superior Dumbledore than Michael Gambon. I've only ever met one person who doesn't think this, and that's Kat. I would have loved to see how Richard Harris would have done Dumbledore. You mean for like... Like the, later. The, 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 okay, yeah. Because <laughs> you did see him. Oh, he did do oh, Dumbledore. Well, yeah, as soon as there. I said that... <laughs> I was like, oh, I need to carry on with my thought. My thought to finish the full sentence. But yeah, I, I do think... I do feel like Richard Harris would say it calmly. Yeah. Well, it depends on the direction that this the director gave, right? Because I think Richard True. Harris is a consummate professional who would have delivered... Whatever the director wanted. And maybe talked about... Yeah, exactly. Um, but also like... And that director is going for such this like high energy movie all the time. And if you watched the the special, you can see he was oh, always trying yeah. to raise energy levels. Um, so that's why I think that that scene ends up being like that. But Richard Harris, I, yeah, he's far superior. Does anybody disagree with that? Does anybody think that Michael Gammon's better? Okay, cool. No. Our next hot take is spiders are not that scary. They are the most terrifying thing on the face of the earth. I don't know. I feel like. Mass murder is more scary. Mm, no, spiders. <laughs> or like my family being like kidnapped. I, I don't That's do bugs. Scary. Any form of bugs or arachnids, I don't do. You down with scorpions? I really haven't seen a scorpion, but I also live in Chicago. Okay, so maybe those are arachnids. I know they are arachnids, but I've really never encountered them. Are you are you down with daddy long legs? Because those are not spiders. I don't like daddy long legs. I don't like insects or arachnids. Wait, those aren't spiders? This is new. No, they're not. They're not arachnids. Um, if you, you have to look up the definition, but yeah, this is something I read in a book like when I was 10. It's stuck with me ever since. Oh, I know that they're not arachnids. Let's look up their um, animal classification. You got it. While you're doing that, Tracy, do you think spiders are scary? They're. I'm kind of scared of them, but yeah, I don't think they're that scary. It's but the giant one, okay. I think counts well anybody facing a uh oh my gosh i just blanked on the term for them acromantulas uh acromantula thank you acromant anyone facing an acromantula i think would you know void their bowels rita do you think that they're scary again it depends on the spider like the little ones that you can trap in a cup and set loose outside no but yeah if i'm in front of aragog and he's like okay well i don't have a deal with you i only have a deal with hagrid you're a snack now Probably pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. Fun, fun fact. Did you know that, uh, you know, the spiders that create parachutes and that you'll see occasionally like parachuting along on the, in the air. There are spiders that eat birds in the Amazon rainforest. Yes. Those are terrifying. They are huge and I hate them as an arachnophobic. They're um, awful. So I don't know how true this is because this is from Wikipedia, but this is the only place that I'm finding, like, the kingdom phylum class order family thing for classification of 
things. I sound such like a scientist right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they are in the class Arachnida and the order... Oh, that's not Arachne. Never mind. So they're they're like closely related to spiders, but they're not arachnids. Thanks, Rex. Anyways, all I was gonna say about those those parachuting spiders is that they you they don't use wind to carry themselves because their spider silk is such a good conductor. They ride on electromagnetic currents. So fun fact about spiders. That's very cool. Yeah. And I really hope that uh Acromantula cannot do that, because that would be terrifying to look up and see. Like there's no wind and yet it's still blowing right towards you. <laughs> An acromantula? Yes. That would be terrifying. Yes. The next hot take is people need to stop thinking that Colin Creevy stayed 11 years old for the entire series, which I kind of forget about. I, I forget I ages of thing. I don't know that we have enough. I, I've never heard anybody have this take before. I don't know that we have enough information about if he matured or not. Like he's just in the series for so little. Because he did just pretty much have the big thing and like big presence in chamber where he was 11 and he has those kind of like oh dennis creevy oh he's the brother of colin yeah yeah i don't know if i've really heard anybody really talking about him that much to really have a judgment on this i think it's just to illustrate the point of like lost innocence right so i mean whether he's 11 or 16 it's just still a child dying prematurely so um Oh, the age doesn't make a whole difference. That's a good point. Whoa. Our next hot take is the hunt for Horcruxes should have taken a lot longer and had this been a big boy series, it would have taken several books. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If this is written by George R.R. R. Martin, it you know, it's still not done. It would it would not be done yet. And we would be on only the Oh, they would ones. they wouldn't have even destroyed one Horcrux. Nope. And some somebody would be pretending to have one, and another one would be like, I'm actually Harry Potter, and it would be very confusing, and nothing would be resolved. It's kind of like how Voldemort always waits until the end of the school year to attack Harry. Because education's important. We (laughs) love a villain that understands that. (laughs) Instead, like, Ron would have been killed in book four randomly, like, a third of the way through the book. And everyone would be like, this death came out of nowhere! Boy, that would be a great what if. What if this series was written by certain authors? You just project how different authors would handle Harry Potter. That'd be fun. This is not a comment on this particular hot take, just in general. I love how Patrick capitalizes certain words for emphasis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying Spiders to add that for the emphasis. <laughs> it's amazing. I appreciate it, Patrick. It's great. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are we ready for Patrick's last hot take? It's a long one. Yeah, because <laughs> it's a long one. And Rex, you got to give it all the... All the anger and and emphasis that Patrick would have. Okay. So I'm going to try to be Patrick in this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. 
People project their own understanding of the reality into these books and wrongly interpret a lot of things of this. One small example, Neville's granddad throwing him out a window. In our world, this is terrible. However, in a world where you can wave a stick and make things fly, it's not that big of a risk. There have been so many discussions in the fandom about things like this, and people completely ignore the fact that this story takes place in a fictional world, the rules of which we do not comprehend with our understanding of our own world clouding our judgment. I don't know if that's how Patrick would read it, but that is how I think it was great reading, though. Many applause to you. I think this is true. It's a fictitious world, and they're magical. Yeah, I think... Uh, when people take works of fiction too seriously um, and start to comment on character choices as if they are three-dimensional human beings instead of just for the purposes of the plot or just for the purposes of comedy or whatever, um, that's it starts to get a bit... I just I just started to feel a bit down, I guess, is really my answer. Yeah, people can take it a little bit too far. Because this is clearly supposed to be like a comedic, tragic thing that alleviates some tension and gives the reader like sort of a wild thing to think about. And it's like, of course that would... What, throwing a baby out a window? Yeah. Like, and well, it's all setting up like Neville talking about how he was almost a squib. And then, you know, he's being held by his ankles out of a window and his grandpa's trying to shake him uh, to see if any magic will come out because it only comes out during high stress. But then he accidentally drops him when his grandmother gives him like a biscuit or something. And then Neville bounces and they realize that he finally does have magic and there's a big celebration. Um... I'm like, that's just, in my opinion, that's just like sort of creating Neville into this more of this comedically tragic figure um, that creates more of an upswell when we get to book seven and he's actually part of the integral fight against Voldemort. And that's that, that what creates an awesome character arc. But if you're seriously sitting there being like, what an awful grandpa. Like, yeah, of course it's an awful grandpa, but that that's not the point. Like, we're not here to d- deliberate on the actions of fictional characters. The point is to enjoy the wildness of people and like fiction is drama. If it's not dramatic, it's not fun. Yeah. And there are people in our muggle world that throw their kids into the deep end of the pool to see if they'll, they'll swim. Right. So yeah. mm-hmm. is that great parenting? Probably not, but people do it. And most of the time the kids swim, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And if not, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, the drowning cases that that leads to but I believe it would be insignificantly small. There's probably a statistic on that. Probably. probably. Tracy, you got any thoughts? I was thinking that it's like, yeah, like sometimes it's just, you go a little bit too far thinking like she just did it. Like you said, because she's trying to create this whole, like, cause I don't know when in the, in the books they mentioned this happening to Neville, but it's probably just trying to create more of like a, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory kind of evil. Like this is his background. He's this quirky character with all these bad things happening to him. It's just to make a point. Mm-hmm. It's not really, I don't think she meant it to be that serious where it's like, oh, this is child abuse. I mean, it is child abuse and it's bad, but take it as, take it for what it is and go on kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. These are a couple of my personal hot takes. My first hot take is Harry's a trash character and their series would have been better off without him. Please explain. <laughs> I hate Harry. So much. He rides off of Hermione. And if, like, he is only, like, this stellar character because of the prophecy that happened and he's the chosen one. And I really didn't realize this until we did the 
um, favorite chapters host episode where I realized all of my favorite chapters don't feature Harry. Hmm. So Rex, explain to me, what does your reimagined series look like without Harry? Without Harry. Yes. So there's no Harry at all. James and Lily have not birthed a son together. Well, they could could have still birthed the son. Well, they he didn't just birth dies. Harry in July and Voldemort didn't They could have birthed him. Harry and Harry just dies. And okay, I was just like, they... Neville could have been the chosen one. Okay, so... And Harry just needed to die. Great. Okay, Woo-hoo. so you've got infant baby Harry dying. Bummer of or, a start. Or young child Harry dying or school-age Harry dying. Oh, so but in any way... You've, you're giving Neville the chosen one status. So what is your what does your series look like with Neville as the chosen one? Essentially the same thing. I don't know. I've really never thought about this. You just like it better. Don't you think Neville would uh, would sort of ride off the coattails of Hermione and, and sort of all your frustrations with Harry would still happen? Maybe. So in the last book, when Harry, uh, quote unquote, dies in the last book, that last bit in the forest again, were you happy or were you hoping that he would stay dead? I was hoping he would stay dead. I was also hoping Ron would die when he got splinched. Interesting. I would rather have a dead Ron over a dead Harry, though. So what I'm hearing is you'd rather have Hermione as the titular character of the series. Yes, because men are trash. Okay. Except Lupin. So getting back to you said he's a trash character. So what is it particularly about Harry that you find unappealing that could be filled in by Neville or Hermione? I think Harry just rides off of him being Harry Potter. So his Patronus is because he's famous? His ability to use Expelliarmus is because he's famous? His ability to suss out Draco Malfoy as the Death Eaters just because he's famous? Yeah. But he doesn't know he's, like, the Harry Potter until he arrives at the school. So I think his identity is, like, fairly solidified before then. And so, in fact, I think Draco Malfoy is, like, I am the great Draco Malfoy. But I think Harry is kind of like, I'm just Harry. And then, he, so I, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, he starts off very innocent, but then he realizes the power that he does have because he's Harry Potter. What, where in the text do you feel like he realizes the power that he has and then uses his fame to get what he wants? Uh, probably book three, book four. Yeah, but where in that? Like what specific Where moments? in that, I feel like it truly like really starts showing once he becomes a Hogwarts champion in book four. Hmm. Okay. So he, because I, the interpretation that I have of that text is that he's very shy, does not like it, is confused of how to go through it, is upset that Ron isn't liking him and is tired of everybody looking at him. Well, he is tired of that, but then he realizes that he can use people to his advantage to make him succeed. Where where do you feel like that manipulation is occurring in Goblet of Fire? I think that's kind of started happening when in book one, when they got close with Hermione and she helped them with work. And that just kind of was a thing that Hermione did. I'm a hundred percent down with how Harry sort of uses Hermione as his friend in order to pass all of his classes. I think that's fairly obvious. I'm, I'm a little bit confused as to like where Harry's manipulating other people throughout the series in order to get what he wants. It feels more like he doesn't like his fame and he is sort of using his like practicing and using his own instincts in order to fight. Because, like, you know, he's, like, a sort of an instinctual Quidditch player, and that turns into some of these more faster reflexes is what makes him him as a duelist. 
but just because he's a good Quidditch player, just naturally gifted for picking up spells, doesn't mean that he is just lazy. Oh, I I think he's lazy for sure. And that's until he's until he's actually he's making other people do his work for him. Well, I don't think that's true. I would sorry. I'll wrap up my final thought with the time we're going. Um, uh, he definitely it, when he's interested in something, he pursues it. Okay. Any other thoughts? Sorry, that became a very back and forth with Rex and I, Rita or Tracy. <laughs> I find it fascinating because Harry's my favorite character, but cause I, I like I, I just think he's. He almost doesn't like to use people. He gets all guilty about it. I do think that he tends to, in the earlier books, kind of over underestimate people like Neville and Luna. He gets kind yeah. of a little like, oh, they're not cool enough sometimes to hang out with me. But I think he, I like that he grows out of that as the books go. But mm-hmm. I know our time's up, but I just find it interesting. Rita, final thoughts? Uh, I guess I just think that um, I'm guessing he struggles with those kind of polarizing um, emotions of imposter syndrome of he does get so much attention for like a variety of different things being the Hogwarts champion being a Quidditch player facing Voldemort so it's hard not to let that go to your head although he's kind of a more shy person naturally so it, it's not surprising to me that by book six he's kind of vacillating between um, oh I can try to trick uh uh, Slughorn into giving me the memory, but also being like, but I'm just really so tired of this and I just want to be, in, in, you know, withdrawn into myself. Yeah. Cool. That was a great one, Rex. Very good hot mm-hmm. take. And then my next hot take is Umbridge is one of the best characters in the entire series. She's a terrible woman. Yes. But she is one of the best characters in the series because of how terrible she is. You and I are in 100% agreement on this. I absolutely one of the best characters. She's one that, of my favorite characters. Yeah. Oh, she's absolutely. definitely in my top five. Oh my gosh. She's so good and effective for book five. And then in book seven, we're, we're like coming back to that is awesome. Again, for listeners, we are not conflating good character with best character. Yeah. Tracy and Rita? She's written really well, and I love how there's so much depth to her, and people love to hate her. I agree that she's one of the best characters. Yeah, agreed. I mean, your second point here, that the entire fandom is very united in um, how they feel about her, that's a really good point, yeah. Everyone hates her, and that's why she's one of my favorite characters, because pretty much every other character, you have people that like them, you have people you hate them, but, like... Umbridge is a different breed. I think it's interesting that sometimes in the fandom, people discuss how she's actually the most evil person and not Voldemort. Oh, 100%. And I find that to, I, ooh, I find that to be a bit rich because Voldemort's whole thing is that a, an entire group of people should be subservient to another group of people. It's this mass idea of superiority that is poisonous and hurts a lot of people. Now that is not like all, all evils are on the same level in terms of like, in terms of high end evils. I don't mean like, you know, stealing a pack of gum is as evil as killing somebody. What I mean is like torturing children and forcing scars upon them is very evil, but I don't know that, Voldemort trying to keep himself immortal and have a ruling class of wizards is is l- less evil than Umbridge's sort of 
lapdoggy loyalty to power. But I think Umbridge sort of espouses a lot of the same beliefs that uh, Voldemort does, but is Umbridge has self hate. It's re- it's repackaged. It's repackaged for sure, but she's also not leading the front there, which is I I agree that she is just as evil in heart, and that we get more of an insight into her character really than we do Tom at times, which I think is why people think she, she's so much more of a, of a live a living character, but. The fact that Voldemort's actually leading and doing the murdering and all this stuff, I feel like, makes him more evil. But in some ways, I feel like it's kind of worse because she's willing to do horrible things as long as she gets the power that she wants. At least Voldemort, you know where you get. Like, he's doing these horrible things, he's leading it. But she's almost like like the yes-men during, like, World War II. Like, she's, just because they told me to do it, I'll do it. Just because it gets what she wants. I don't know. I think in some ways... Is is Adolf Hitler more evil or are the yes-men more evil? I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. hard because I don't know. That we answer, need but... to get uh, more research on that. Yeah. yeah, good hot take though. Are we ready to move on, or does anybody have any last thoughts? Cool. We are now moving on from Rex, who did an absolutely fantastic job reading these hot takes from Patrick and himself, and I now I will be reading my own hot takes, starting with, and I think I'll do it in the same fashion that Rex has, which is I'll read my hot take and then I will give a tiny bit of an explanation and then open up for discussion. Uh, my first hot take being. The Hufflepuff common room stinks. (laughs) The Hufflepuff common room is, compared to the other three, is objectively the worst. You've got two gorgeous towers with these wonderful views and this, you know, cozy, homey settings for both of them. Um, Now, yeah, they're up a bunch of stairs, but, you know, whatever, keeps you in shape. And then you have this common room that's under the lake with all of this gorgeous furniture and this amazing lighting and a truly unique way to live and then you basically got a hobbit hole which i love hobbit holes this is it's still a good it's still a good common room but it stinks compared to the others and then your view as it was put in pottermore is literally people's feet walking by mic drop (laughs) i've never given it much thought but i think you're right yeah so this isn't I totally thought this was based off of all Hufflepuff. All Hufflepuffs are stoners. No, that no. that's how when I like read it, I was like, "Oh, this is how it's gonna go." <laughs> it, does, it does not physically stink. No, I'm talking about it being uh, awful. It's bad. Yeah, I never thought of it either, but yeah, that makes sense. Cool. I don't think it makes sense, but that's okay. Tell me, tell me, resident Hufflepuff Rex, argue with me. I think just what you said is just one, not how I took what was written. So I was, it's just a lot of processing because yeah, like it doesn't get a tower. Like it's not underwater, which like I wouldn't want to live underwater. Um, But then what were you talking about feet? Well, so it's right. It's in like, it's a basement level. And so their windows are right at the grass. They're a little higher up in the right at grass level. Is the description of Oh, okay, like yeah. a garden unit. Yeah, exactly. But just because you're in a garden unit doesn't mean you hear footsteps. No, no, no. I'm just saying you see them, not that you hear them. So? Your, that your view is people walking by, basically. I love people watching. Do you like feet watching? I would like that. Well, you would get a little bit more. It wouldn't just be their feet. And... um uh, how often are you walking right next to a building? Because you'd be a little further away, so you'd see the person. Depending on if you're you're Irvin and living in New York. True. I, I I'm just thinking about the garden units here in Chicago. Mm. 
Oh yeah, wider sidewalks for sure. Um, and also this is Hogwarts, so there's more space than New York. That's true. But I think every how every common room has their pros and cons. Like you said, the stairs. I will never have to deal with that. I'm right next to the kitchen. Yeah, I can get is a snack. It a plus or a minus that it's right next to the kitchen. Oh, it's 100% a plus. Okay. Befriend the house elves, get snacks. <laughs> It'd be a huge minus for me because I'd be in the kitchen all the time. I much prefer forced exercise <laughs> going up seven flights of stairs. There's enough stairs walking to and from class. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Rex has a Hufflepuff. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, glad you, I'm, glad you like your, I'm glad you like your <laughs> common room. That's good for you. Uh, okay. Next hot take, number two, Voldemort and Bellatrix being intimate with each other tracks. So this is, uh, of course, referring to the fact that, spoilers for people who haven't read Cursed Child, uh, they they have a child together, Voldemort and Bellatrix, and some people look at Voldemort as sort of a, a non-sexual being. I won't say ace, because I would hate to throw the ace community in with a villain, um, but like essentially that he's not interested in sex whatsoever, and that this would never happen. I think it totally tracks. I think that it's more either Voldemort feeling physical needs that are just being fulfilled. I don't think he is romantically interested in Bellatrix, but I think more likely it's a power dynamic. It's him having power over her. So like rape? Uh, it, it seems like it would be consensual in Bellatrix's case that she would be down for it. Um, but you can still have consensual sex and there be a certain power dynamic there. Oh, like, like a dom-sub relationship. Yeah. I can see that. I can see them being intimate. I don't know if I see them having a kid together. You don't think Bellatrix would keep it? You don't yeah. think she'd poke a hole in the condom? <laughs> I I want your babies. <laughs> I want to have the spawn of the Dark Lord in me. Like, I can see Bellatrix being like that because she's crazy. I can definitely see it on Bellatrix's end, but I don't know. I think for Voldemort, I guess how I've always thought of it, which I don't think I have much until now. Um, so maybe <laughs> not always. Um, I well, I feel like he's just gone through so much, like metamorphosis with his body, and you he's know, become more snake-like. Yeah, so I don't know. If, and like, the don't same snakes bunches. have like like how do how do how do snakes work like that? <laughs> do you think that do you think that he's changed enough that his reproductive system has become snake-like? Because like it's really only the slits of his nostrils that become snaky. He's, he doesn't have scales. He's, he still has all four limbs. I We were never introduced to that area of his body. This, this is, is true. Book. <laughs> Going, yeah, back Patrick, Going back to the hot take. Going back to the hot take. This is a children's <laughs> book. Correct. But I think Bellatrix would have needed to, like, persuade Voldemort to why he should have an heir. Mm. Um... Because initially I could see Voldemort being like, no, but then Bellatrix is just like, how continuing on his legacy. Because, yeah, he's going for the path of immortality, but the legacy is just something to add on to that. Like, oh, you could have an army of your offspring. But would he want to carry on his... Muggle genes. I could see him not wanting to have a kid who had any part of the Riddle family at all. But yeah, that's a good point. Um, Bellatrix is a pure blood, so I say for twenty eight. 
So she has zero muggle. So he's 50 muggle. So that, so the first child would be 25 muggle. And then that child, if that child had a child with a 28, that child would be a 12.5 muggle. You're describing the eugenics movement. Yeah. But I think given the relationship and obviously it's very complex that, um, Voldemort had with his father. I don't know if that he would see like a continuation of lineage as a positive. He might see that as like either, oh, this is someone that I can't control because he had to go and kill his father. So that might be someone that challenges him down the road. So Mm -hmm. it's like potentially just creating more problems for himself down the road. Agreed. Number three, the Harry Potter fandom is both too judgy and bully and touchy all about the houses situation. I find that sometimes people are extremely sensitive when this is a made up thing, right? And that if somebody makes a joke about like, oh, Slytherin is the evil house. Sometimes people who are Slytherins get very upset about it when it shouldn't. And at the same time, there are people who are really mean about the houses and we all just need to ease off a bit about how sacred these are to us because ultimately they, this is a fictional book. Um, and while Gen Z makes fun of us for uh, it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) While this is really, really fun to like, think about, boy, I think we just, we just should be less serious and take a note from Gen Z. Who's a pretty sweet generation, even though they might be very distracted currently. I am judgy about houses. Tell me more. Um, whenever I find out someone's a Gryffindor, I roll my eyes. Ah, so when we met, you were not very pleased. Oh, when I learned that I rolled my eyes, you didn't see, but... Just because I associate people being a Gryffindor with just wanting to be like Harry. And I... Oh, interesting. Just can't see past that. I do not want to be Harry in any respect, so I guess you'll have to figure that one out. (laughs) And it's also, I just have very little Gryffindor in me that I was just like, how could you be? Like, I just don't understand how someone could be a Gryffindor. Courageous and chivalrous. Yeah, that just ain't me. (laughs) Hmm. Other thoughts? I guess I I have sort of similar thoughts about Gryffindor. That, that, sorry, Sam. Not <laughs> uh, <laughs> not that I'm judgy, but it's it's more it's a lack of originality because I think when I first I, I associate that with like someone who's like freshly read the books and they're like, oh, Gryffindor's the good house. I want to be the good house. You know, I associate that with uh, goodness, so that's my house. So. It's more like they haven't maybe explored the series as much to see where they truly land. And also, I don't, I don't know anyone who like forthright identifies as like my most defining characteristic is bravery. I'm just really brave, you know. But at the same time, Gryffindor values are great values. Tracy, I think I agree with in the sense of Slytherin because, for example, I have a friend who did never read the books, but we were having a party and we decided we were gonna we wanted to sort her and we thought she was Slytherin and when she read up on it she was all offended and was like why did you guys think I was Slytherin I think people really do think it's the evil house first and I don't I think that's not that's you can be cunning and not want to you know have mass genocide like like Voldemort (laughs) I don't know but in the same vein yeah yeah I guess mostly I think it's mostly Slytherin that I think it gets a little too far other houses I think people don't really care as much so I'm going to share personal anecdote on that um so i'm jewish and i had one of my friends pull me aside like this was like three four years ago and she said i just really want to ask you um how could you be jewish and be a slytherin Mm. and i was like well (laughs) 
I see those things as very different. <laughs> For, and it's exactly what you were saying, Tracy. It's like, I don't, I'm, I'm not pro-genocide. I'm not pro, you know, I, I don't align myself with the values that Voldemort does. Yeah, it's like, it's just, it's a house. It's just one bad apple. I've like gotten judged for being a Hufflepuff. Really? Yeah. So my senior year of high school, so 2011, uh, the Wizarding World Orlando, like, just has been open for almost a year. Um, I was there for spring break and I knew I was going. So I saved up money from my high school job and I bought a lot of Hufflepuff merchandise and the team member at Universal that checked me out, like said something about like, why are you buying so much Hufflepuff stuff? Aww. And like, I was like, wow, like it was something that I was just like, well, I'm a Hufflepuff. Like, that's why, like, I was like, I wouldn't waste this much money on other house stuff because that's a waste of money to me. Hmm. And I was just like, um, why? Like, I was just like, I always thought that was weird about choosing to spend my money on something that really that is such a bummer i really hope that employee didn't say that to somebody who's not as like strong-willed as you are where <laughs> you had an actual retort you know what if they, they said that to a little kid who then yeah, was like real. oh i have to change my house now because someone thinks it's not cool yeah yuck that's gross see that's that's an example of yucking someone's yum and it's just unnecessary yeah um, well, someday I'll give a, an expose about why I consider myself a Gryffindor, but we don't have time for it. So, uh, number four, Lupin was not as good a teacher as we think. And this is coming from a person who's a huge Lupin fan, me. Um, You're also a teacher. And I'm also a teacher. Uh, the reason why I say this is... From the textual evidence that we get, it's made to seem like Harry, at the end of book three, is the only person who gets an O or passes that whole practical exam test. Hermione doesn't do it. Ron doesn't do it. We don't get any information about anybody else. But I think that there's an alludedness to the fact that Lupin's like, you got the highest grade, Harry. And that's actually not good. You do not want to be teaching in a way where one student gets an A and everybody else is at a B level or below. Now, the Hogwarts grading system is not good, right? They've got three passing grades and three failing grades, which is very strange. So it is important to realize that, like, while as he's the best Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers that Hogwarts students have during those six, seven years, other than Harry, um, he actually needed to have uh, taught in a way that benefited more children and not just the chosen one. And so it makes me wonder if that, those, like, tea conversations that he was having with Harry um, gave Harry a leg up, in which case you really need to be holding office hours for everybody. But, yeah, at the end of this... Lupin is great, but that's the one flaw in his game, dude. Is that you just don't get the grades of everyone? Um, Is that you're teaching in a way that has failed the the vast majority of students. Because you want want students to all be at an outstanding level. Um, And like the fact that Hermione excels in all other... But the bell curve... So unless you're saying that Harry's an outlier, which he shouldn't be, Hermione should be your litmus test as somebody who's at the top, right? If you're... And because she fails and Harry succeeds, you've now only benefited one student and you've left behind a bunch. Well, I'm not saying Harry's an outlier. I'm just saying there should be more, like, there should be fewer O's than, like, exceeds or acceptable. 
Oh, so you're saying that you want to have a, a bell curve that starts low and goes high instead of a linear progression of, of having most students at the top and then there's, there's a drop. I'm not necessarily saying like an actual bell curve, but something similar because also every year they've had a different Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher with different teaching styles. And Harry yeah. could have just learned best like Luke and Lupin taught. Sure. I, I, all I'm saying is that his end of the year data is not ideal for, for how you want to be approaching students. But uh, he probably didn't take like a pedagogy class. That's true. I'm, I'm not saying that he, it's his fault that he's not as good. I'm just saying that that is a flaw <laughs> in him as a teacher. I would say the fact that at least one student did get an outstanding is probably because he and Harry realistically only cover the Patronus, which is not on the exam. And uh, it's likely more of a reflection of the fact that they had a, just a dreadful teacher their second year and they lacked that foundation mm-hmm. than Lupin having not covered everything. Because if Harry was able to go through all of it and get all of the marks, and Hermione presumably would have been if she didn't fail the Bogart, then she then she probably did do a really good job of covering well, the and I was like, that was on She the probably only failed because of the stress of the exam. Yeah. Well, and she'd also never got the practical um, lesson. Her, she and Harry did not get a chance to fight the Bogart. Oh, true. And so she, she was never pre- prepared for that part of the test, really. She only had done it in theory. And Lupin was really good about practicality, but missed some students. That's a good point. Also, like, you just don't want your data to be reflecting that, oh, the people with a natural affinity for the subject, which Harry obviously has, it, are the people doing well. You you want to have taught so that people without the natural affinity are still doing really well. Also, it's a little weird that his his uh, exam is only practical. <laughs> That's okay. We'll get to balance that out in book five. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, sorting. Or number five, sorting is not tracking. Um, this has made its rounds a lot on, um, on on TikTok and other social media, but there's a there's a clip from the show um, actually where they talk about how the sorting has uh, the sorting aspect of of Hogwarts is student tracking and how that's actually really unhealthy. That is partially true. Student tracking is unhealthy and not beneficial, and often it falls into us. Uh, like uh, racial pitfalls or neurodivergent pitfalls or um, a bunch of other things that occur at school. But sorting and tracking are two different things. So just to be clear, tracking is, and so sorting actually isn't that unhealthy, which is really the, the hot take here. Tracking is like when you find a student who is like really good at math as a first grader. And so you put them in a separate track than other people in their grade. And then they excel and then you leave behind all of these other students. So instead of trying to get those students at the level where they could be with their peers, you just you have two different systems. And now you've created a social structure within school that is like, oh, well, you're the dumb math kids and I'm the smart math kids. Sorting is just on personality types and it has nothing to do with academic uh, things. So it's actually not unhealthy compared to tracking. I don't know that this is a really good hot take. I feel like this is just more in the an expose. But what thoughts do you all have? I don't understand. I don't know what I don't understand. Okay. I will explain again if I need to. Tracy and Rita? Yeah, I don't feel... I feel like I'm really unqualified to speak on this subject, but uh, I guess the 
A benefit that I see is if your head of house teaches a specific subject, they, in the case of Snape, may favor you and you may Mm. just get more natural occurrences of bumping into them and being able to ask for additional help or clarification. So, uh, but that's not the same. It's not like, oh, all Slytherins are really great at potions, um, right? But um, I think that's kind of where my thoughts end on that. So, Tracy, floor is all yours. That makes sense. I was taking it as... That sorting is more just, okay, this is your personality type, this is your house, and that's it. It shouldn't really mm. affect your schooling going forward. But tracking is more like, like you were saying, it's, you're good at math, so you're going to be in the higher math class. And yeah. that, yeah, okay. I agree. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Cool. Let's move on then. <laughs> uh, I will get less teachery now, <laughs> I promise. Um The Hermione and Ron that we see in Deathly Hallows should not be on track to get married. This is coming from a place, if anyone's heard of something called trauma bonding, uh, essentially this is a dangerous thing that happens when people go through trauma together, which is they bond uh, emotionally very heavily over the trauma that they have faced together, which actually is a, is a dangerous way of dealing with trauma. Um, and so it feels like a lot of Ron and Hermione's emotions to me are based off of what we've gone through together and how important this is to us and not at all based on personal compatibility. The floor is now open. Well, the author's gone saying that they're in marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're not in the right space. They shouldn't have gotten together. I still ship Harry and Hermione. Even though you don't want Harry in the series. <laughs> yes. Go for it, Tracy. What were you going to say? I was. I disagree. I feel like I. Th- I feel like the author saying that she was just giving into the fandom. I don't think she necessarily planned it that way. I think that they bring out the best in each other. Ron makes Hermione a little less type A and more fun, and Hermione makes Ron a little less of a jerk. When I first read the series, I thought Hermione and, Her- and Ron- Hermione and Harry would be good together, but I think that they wouldn't make each other better people. If that makes sense, they just kind of would be cute together but they don't really bring out the best in each other they seem very work compatible but not romantic compatible yeah exactly Ginny actually makes him she questions him and challenges him and makes him and doesn't really hermione sometimes can coddle harry and i like that Ginny just kind of she tells him how it is and and Ginny understands harry in a way that hermione doesn't yeah i don't know i was totally with sam and rex and then tracy chimed in and now i'm both great points. I agree with both of you. For all of you. <laughs> yeah, you're all right. <laughs> Good. I, I think my fear with Ron is that I don't know that he's ever going to show enough growth in his life to not make Hermione take on the burdens of organization and discipline throughout their lives together. Because I think it becomes unfair to leave the burden of sort of the day-to-day experience um, on one person to be sort of the camp director while the other person is just sort of doing whatever they want. And I think that's my main worry. I don't see it from Ron. It could be. It could be that he changes before, before they get married and, and all that stuff, but we just don't know. So in Deathly Hallows, I don't see it. Okay, because I was going to say, I like that he's a house husband in um, Cursed Child. But if you just look oh, at yeah. the books, at, yeah, I can see part of that. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, what number is this for me? One, two, three. I wasn't numbering mine, but I only had two. You have like 700. <laughs> I, 
I do have a couple. That's that's true. Uh, Harry should serve time for using the unforgivable curses. Uh, no explanation is needed. That's so one, moody, then. he wouldn't serve time because he's Harry Potter. But he should. But then a lot more people should. Yes. I'm here for equality, so I'm saying no. So then ev- if you're for equality, then everyone who uses the unforgivable curses should not go to Azkaban. Well... One, Moody did you Okay, Bo- Moody, a.k.a. Barty Crouch Jr., used them at Hogwarts for a learning purpose. So mm-hmm. I think that's exempt because you should learn about them. Okay. And but that's where theory was probably enough, right? Because he does kill a spider, and I understand. But it's a spider. That's so fine. many hot takes. <laughs> but uh, I feel like then, yeah, everyone would have to really serve time, especially at the last battle. I think mm-hmm. he had a good reason. It wasn't malicious, I don't think. Not a good reason, but you know what I mean? I don't think it was done as, like, Voldemort would. So I think it's fine. But what would constitute using an unforgivable curse and getting sent to Azkaban versus not getting sent to Azkaban? How are those two different? Yep. Especially because Harry uses it on an unsuspecting goblin mm-hmm. to get gains. That's mainly the one that I'm talking about. I like when Wizard Warfare breaks out, it's, I, I get what you're saying in terms of all the people of the Battle of Hogwarts. I like Mad Eye Moody, Elastor Moody in the first war was given, Aurors were given special privileges to use it against Death Eaters. Um, and then, of course, academically, they were given an exception as well, uh, which I doubt that an exception on a student would actually be allowed, but Moody gets what Moody wants. Um, but Harry's like unsuspecting, whatever it's called, uh, not impedimenta, but imperio. Uh, he should definitely serve time for that. But this goes into the whole um, thing of goblins thinking that wizards think that wizards are more superior. Uh huh. So doing it on a goblin is okay because it's not a wizard. Oh, interesting. You think the law specifically is like, these are unforgivable on humans. Maybe. I don't know. But that's kind of how I'm seeing just with kind of the interactions that we get with goblins in the series Mm -hmm. is goblins think that wizards are like (laughs) hoity-toity and being like, I'm a wizard. I'm better than you. Very true. So using it on a goblin is like killing a spider by stepping on it. Interesting. Fascinating. Mm. All right. Uh, Harry chooses the wrong profession. Yep. Essentially, Harry becoming an Auror is essentially the extension of a being part of the FBI, the CIA, slash a wizard cop at the same time. Uh, I think him going to work for the Ministry of Magic when he knows that the Ministry of Magic can be an awfully corrupt place instead of going on to pass on what he's learned as a teacher is the wrong move for our protagonist. Oh, he should have been a teacher. Yeah, for sure. Completely agree. Yeah, absolutely agree. And uh, it's shocking. It makes sense that Hermione wants to go in and change the ministry from within, but it just does not make sense that Harry would uh, step foot anywhere near them. Yep. Cool. Well, not so much a hot take as a warm, lukewarm take that we all like to bathe in. Okay. Um, The Marauders would not make for a good TV, film, or book franchise. 
uh, I would accept a collection of scattered short stories. But my my whole point with this is if you go back and you watch like things like X-Men First Class or the like prequel trilogy to Star Wars for the most part, um, or anything that like goes back in time, like the Hobbit, the Hobbit movies coming out after the Lord of the Rings movies, we all know, we all know how these end, what happens, who dies when. And so it's extremely difficult to to unless you're gonna go with a completely character driven and make a bunch of twists and turns that don't accept canon and everything it's so difficult that almost always these prequely things are not nearly as good as their originals and so the only way that i feel like you can truly do the marauders justice is to do these one-off short stories that just are there to sort of build fun character moments and not to be a dramatic series end of comments i couldn't agree more tracy on my side tell me why yeah i agree because it's just like um I want to see little bits of them, but I have don't think it's interesting. Like I said, for the same reasons, we know how to end. So it's just going to be, you're almost like watching it, waiting to find out, waiting to get to the point that you already know that happens anyway. So I just, it wouldn't, wouldn't be interesting, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think whether we want it or not, we're going to get it because this is kind of, I see it as a natural extension of the wizarding universe and the money-making machine that it is. This would be... This would be a really natural next step of like, hey, let's explore this. This some of the source material is already written. Let's expand upon that. So, I I think we might get it. Mm-hmm. I hope it's good. If we do, I definitely want this. I do see where you're coming from, Sam. Mm-hmm. But I always thought of whatever does come out, whatever like media form, it wouldn't be years one through seven it would kind of be like oh okay here's the marauders like meeting each other okay here's a kind of like a montage of like key things while they're at hogwarts if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so it is kind of telling the story but it's not a story story Mm. Can we all agree that the Marauders during the Wizarding War would be more fascinating than the Marauders at Hogwarts? I want to know what, how and why Peter switched sides. Yeah. Yeah. Same. That's what I want to know. Yeah. Agreed. And my last one of my 700 is Fred's death is the worst death in the seven books. No. All right. Tell me why. Why? One, I don't think... If I really don't, none of the deaths really affected me in the series. Okay. So I kind of see them all as like somewhat equal. And I do understand the component of like Fred dying when Mrs. Weasley's Bogart thing, I believe that was in the fifth book was her kids dying. It was Fred and George because even Molly couldn't see the twins being separated. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, you really can't rank death. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that each of the characters death symbolizes something that our avatar um, main character, Harry is losing. And to me, Fred is just, it's a it's a family member that became kind of an adoptive family to him, and that's just tragedy. 
And then Sirius dying, the father figure, when he finally had a chance to potentially go and live out a life with somebody who truly cared about him. That's, and Hedwig, I mean, yeah, you can't really, each one is very tragic for its own reason, but I, I think you, you could rank them and maybe it varies person by person, but I think you could rank them. I feel like in some ways Fred's death is the easiest uh, in terms of writing wise, because the way, and I say this as a twin, she writes them almost as interchangeably. So she kind of just is like, oh, there's an extra person. I'll just kill that one because she wanted to make it a sad thing for the Weasleys and to kind of have that kind of emotional impact. But she didn't have the guts to kill anybody who was a little bit more individual. Mm. The original design was apparently Percy was going to die in that scene instead of Fred. See, I think that and would be She awesome. switched it to Fred to, because she thought it would be more emotionally impactful. It would be because Percy's a terrible person. So in terms of ranking death, wouldn't we all be significantly less sad about Percy dying than Fred? Correct. I would feel the same. Um, I think the reason why I'm putting Fred as the worst death is because for me, it, and this is obviously because it's a hot take, it's just a personal thing, but going back and rereading the series, knowing that each time we meet Fred is a ticking clock down to his death and that George now has to go through life without his his everything, essentially. They are as close... But you could say that about everyone that dies in the series. It's different for twins. I, I don't think you could say that about Snape. I don't think you could say that about lots of people. Um, yeah, you can. Uh, okay, give me, give, me your, give me a reason for Snape. Well, you're just like, oh, every time you meet, you're counting down. Every time you meet Snape, you could count down. Okay, okay, I see what you're saying. Yes, you could like, say as- that about everybody in the series. What I'm saying specifically is that for me personally... We've got these promising two young people who are marching towards and become an integral part of Harry's life with some great comedy and brevity that's important to the series that you then his life gets snuffed away from him so shortly. And he's also got a partner that now has to go through life where he's been his entire life with this one other person and now he has to do it separately. And that is a unique situation compared to anybody else. Unless you're going to say Hedwig because Hedwig's whole life is almost always with Harry. You never know when, like, you or someone you care about is going to die. Like, Correct. Yeah, Fred died during a war, and that usually brings upon more death, but you don't know. Okay, yes. I'm a little confused as to how that... What, what do you mean by that in terms of why this makes Fred's death less impactful or just as impactful? I, I think I just don't see Fred's death as impactful. Okay. Cool. That's fine. And I really don't know why. Like, I was just like, when he died, I was like, oh, okay. I think it's because I really didn't know if I knew Fred or George more because they are the same person. I was like, oh, okay. Now I know who they're going to be talking about. (laughs) All right. Cool. Well, thank you all for listening to my hot takes. So Rita, I want to share yours. All right, one of mine I'm cutting because we've already covered it extensively with other hot takes. So I realistically just have two. My first one being, and it's lengthy, so I'll just give a couple of examples. But um, what bothers me is that we are unfair in our judgment based on of, of different characters. And we give some people too much grace and we're too hard on some of the characters for actions that I feel like not necessarily our equivalent, but it's like, it's, it's almost cancel culture within the Harry Potter books. Uh, 
and it's it's not being distributed evenly. So, for example, people are way too forgiving of Ron for abandoning Harry and Hermione. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's an awful thing that he did, and I don't understand why we are so quick to just say, "Oh, like no, the Horcrux was." Uh, you know, make, putting him in a bad mood. So we're just okay. And he did try to come back eventually after, you know, going and visiting his family. Uh, that that was a pretty, to me, like that. that's a pretty point of no return kind of decision. So I don't personally forgive him for that. I, I'd say the other one that's kind of a big one for me is I think people are way too hard on Snape, but I think this is like a toxic fandom thing in calling out that he's obsessed with Lily and I mean, we know that he had a pretty rough childhood and that they were really good friends and that there was a really, really strong, important friendship that then crumbled. So why is it so hard to believe that in a series that's really emphasizing the importance and value of friendship that why is it so hard to believe that he would harbor a really strong love and respect for uh, somebody that was a really good friend to him all those years later and not necessarily having him be an obsession? I would love to respond to that. Uh, so I, w- I was on the podcast where we talked about the prince's tales. Part two will be coming out sometime later this year, uh, sometime in April or May, I believe. Um, essentially I'm with you in terms of like, people are too hard. I, there was a great comment in the prince's tale part one where somebody was like, man, the hosts are too hard on essentially a child. Um, and I was like, Oh, that's a great point. However, I don't think that he actually harbors a sense of respect for Lily. Um, he might, you know, have a sense of love for past kindnesses, but his use of mudblood to her and his eventual joining with the Death Eaters is emblematic of an issue that he is so self-centered that his he just wants Lily to be there for him, and he is in no way there for Lily. And I think that that's when it turns into an obsession, when he keep, continues to think and love someone and his Patronus is based on someone that he doesn't even really know as an adult because she she said, we're done. And he continues to be attached to her. That's when it feels like an obsession. And then to treat her son poorly too. It's like, if he really cared about her, I feel like he wouldn't have treated Harry as badly as he did. But Harry's dad did bully him pretty badly. That's yes, true. I've been bullied many times in my lives, but as a teacher, I would never do that to a child back. Even if they were, you know, one of my main bullies children, that's insane. <laughs> fair. No, that's, that's a totally fair criticism. Uh, Absolutely agree. I just, I still think that it's with, with that obsession piece. I, I don't know if I ever really fully bought into that, mm-hmm. but I, I do see the respect. I think the Snape left. as a character is just a very hot topic. Indeed. In sure. the fandom. Mm-hmm. I'm a hundred percent with you on where people are way too forgiving of Ron abandoning Harry Hermione. I've been in the camp for a long time of like, y'all, that was not good. <laughs> that Ron's was really a trash character. Trash character. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, mainly, um, I just don't like men. Well, and I'll okay. throw another one in here. So people just forgive Hermione for confounding Cormac. That, those are just the examples that I could think of. I'm sure there's like a hundred more, but uh, people are, are just so cool with that because it was she did it for love and it was okay because it was on Gryffindor's team. But like that was a super uncool thing to do. Super uncool. I mean, she let a less talented person take a spot on the team when in book two she was very standoffish to Draco Malfoy saying at least no one on the Gryffindor team had to buy their way on the team so you know it's it's hypocritical it's it's not cool for me yeah 
Hermione is so hypocritical. She's Absolutely. Just, yeah. Also, that that entire that entire thing is not cool. Like, like Harry knowing that he was confounded, 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 whatever, whatever that spell is, and then still letting Ron be on the team and Hermione just because they're like let on the friends. It's not a good move. He's not being a good captain. It's awful. Well, yeah. Just let's hang out with my friends. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so next one. I don't know how much of a hot take it is in this universe, in the the universe being this podcast. I loved Harry Potter Wizards Unite. I got really into it for about a year, and then I kept getting this pop-up, and I kept ignoring it and never read it. And then I just noticed that the game started becoming different. So I finally read the pop-up and it was like, oh, we're shutting down. And it was heartbreaking because I experienced sort of the same high from it as I did from Pokemon Go for a while. And I knew no one else that played it. And oh my gosh, guys, I am so sad. I still haven't deleted the app off of my phone because I keep thinking that, oh, maybe eventually they'll revive it. But that's not happening. See, I was looking forward to this game when it was coming out. And then when it did come out, whenever it came out, downloaded it started and i was like wow this is just like pokemon go i was expecting something different Mm -hmm. so i was personally disappointed with the game same yeah i i think right when i stopped playing pokemon go is right when this came out and i went i i'm already done with this other game i can't get into this i really wanted to like normally my love of harry potter fandoms is enough to get me through it i just yeah i understand why they shut it down I'm I'm so sorry you it broke your heart though. My step count just hasn't been the same. <laughs> Damn you, wizards unite. Alright, that's it for my hot takes. Well done. Thank you, Rita. Thank you. So I, I took one of them out because we basically covered it. So I have about two. Um my first one is I think Creature's a better character than Dobby. I get the Dobby I like this. <laughs> I get that Dobby's loyal and he saves Harry. But I also slightly think he's annoying. Um, mostly everything Chamber of Secrets. And I, I basically think he's just a plot point. Creature is an actual fully developed, not fully developed, but more developed character. He has a redemption arc. He does. He actually exists beyond serving Harry's needs. Yeah. I mean, let's be clear. I, I like Dobby better than I like Creature. But Creature's for sure 100% a better character. Oh, I don't like Dobby. He's annoying. Yeah. I, but do you like Creature better? I do. <laughs> I really don't know. I've really never, like, compared to the two. I'd never minded Creature. Like, Creature does have his downsides, like, um, pretty much really only listening to Sirius slash Harry for orders and, like, needing to be, like, ordered to listen to Hermione. But Dobby, Dobby was just annoying. He's just like, I want to be a free elf. I'm a free elf. It's, so it's a, it's annoying that sentient beings want to be no longer enslaved? <laughs> well, that's not annoying, but that is truly just his personality. Sure, like, I, I get I, I He always brought you. Ba- th- it back to that part of him, and that's probably what I found annoying about him. I think he's certainly, Dobby's certainly more likable in the fact that he, like, seems good natured and is also pushing for to be progressive and free. I think creatures unlikable because of at least for a while there, because of his like tendencies to spout wizarding eugenics nonsense and be very mean to Hermione and call her mudblood and stuff. 
But yeah, I think Creature's a better character for sure. Like like you're saying, the whole like Regulus arc that happens in there, Tracy, that like really gives Creature depth and then his character change. We never see really character change from Dobby, so he's a static character, not a dynamic mm-hmm. character. Yeah. I mean, that's not true. We do see change with like him and his views toward the Malfoy. But anyways, you were going to say? No, Sam, I totally agree with you. I think the Regulus and Creature tale, every time I revisit um, the sixth book, it's just I'm blown away by how much we learn and how dynamic that arc is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so from that perspective, I totally agree. Creature is just, it's it's such beautiful writing. It's um, it's such great character design because you you totally change your opinion of him from the from when you meet him yeah. to at the end. So, yeah, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Should we go on to our very last hot take? Sounds great. All right. Um, I think Hermione shouldn't be Minister of Magic. I think if it's everything too nicely in a bowl, like, oh, the main, she's a main character, so she must have this really amazing job. I don't think she's open-minded enough, and I think she'd be, I think she'd feel more fulfillment being, like, the head of the Department of Regulation and Control or control of Magical Creatures, where she could work, I think someone mentioned it before, work within. I feel like the bureaucracy of the Minister of Magic, I don't think she would feel fulfillment from that at all. I or like the attention. So I believe that the author said something about Hermione does go and naturally work in that department of regulation and control for magical mm-hmm. creatures and like with her whole house elf liberation front as well. However, I'm like and I agree that when she's, you know, 11 to 17, she's not open minded enough. This is the the difficult thing with not having seen any of the character development between end of book seven and cursed child is like it might be that she does open her mind. I know I was very close-minded compared in when I was 17 compared to when I graduated college at 21. So like kind of kind of unsure of if she's open-minded or enough, but I'm 100% there with you that it's like too neatly in a bow. <laughs> Although her penchant for organization, discipline and rule following is really good for somebody who's going to be in government because you want somebody who's going to follow procedure and be um and you know not allow corruption and all that sort of stuff which that she seems like would be good as a public servant but if she's just as close-minded as she was at 17 then yeah i i I think she'll have a tough time having people want to work for her yeah i feel like it's like a department head shirt but the gray areas needed for being the head of everything i don't know i feel like she'd be like this is my way and this is how it's supposed to be and this is how we're gonna do it which may not work i wonder though tracy can you think of any fictional character that you would be like, I would like them to be president of the United States? Cause like, I just, I feel like there's no one that is ever going to be good enough. Yeah. Everyone will have their flaws to be like the head leader of yeah a group of people. That's true. But it also comes from the fact that the private sector of the wizarding world is basically diagonally in Hogsmeade, right? <laughs> like she doesn't have a lot of other paths to be, to reach her max potential and be the most effective. So this is probably the greatest position of power in her mighty seems like aside from confunding Cormac, she's probably pretty well suited to handle power. So what I'm hearing from you, Rita, is that you want Hermione to be a developer of industry and she's going to set up all areas around the entire UK that boosts their economy and livens the private sector. She's going to just set up a lot of startups yeah. There oh we yeah. Go. You wanted a tech founder? <laughs> That's amazing. Like maybe I'd get a couple of wand bakers instead of just the one who has a monopoly on 
that entire region. Yeah. But I see as Hermione initially starting off in the Ministry of Magic, just seeing how things are run and wanting to change it. Like she's going to grow as a person because I highly doubt she's the same person at the end of the last chapter to the start of the epilogue. Yeah, I mean, it, she, she's such... As, like, growth has to happen in 19 years. She's such a systems designer uh, and that it feels like the, the the public sector actually fits Hermione best. I think in terms of somebody livening the private sector, that's going to be somebody more like Fred Weasley. He's dead. Oh, George Weasley. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> to holy George. The dump dump. <laughs> Thank you. So, does anyone have anything else to say? Uh, yes, I actually do have something to say. Uh, hello, Alohomora listeners. This is Patrick, the editor, and I just got done editing this episode. Uh, I haven't put the blooper at the end yet, so make sure you listen all the way through for that. But um, I, I just had to pop in here at the end. Um, so, so first of all, I guess say thank you very much for listening. If you've made it all the way through to the end here, I appreciate that very much. Thank you very much on behalf of Alohomora for listening all the way through this episode. But I just have to say that this episode on hot takes is something that I've personally been looking forward to for quite a while. And I've been thinking about some of my hot takes over the last few years because, you know, like all of you listening, I sit and I edit the episodes and I listen through. And there have been certain times where I just find myself just shaking my head or whatever going, no, I don't don't you know agree with that or whatever. And so for this episode, I – I kind of chickened out, I have to say. It was my intention to try to be on this episode, and unfortunately, I let it kind of creep up on me. I didn't even know this episode was coming up, and then when I found out, we already had three hosts, and I didn't want to, you know, I kind of, like I said, I chickened out. I didn't want to take anyone's spot or anything like that, and and honestly, at the end of the day, it's probably good because the episode would have probably ended up being four and a half hours long had I ended up being on it anyway, but I just wanted to, like I said, say that, you know, I've been thinking about some of these hot takes for a long time, and, and had I been on the episode, I, I definitely know that I would have done it almost sort of like in, in character almost as sort of like playing devil's advocate the whole time. You know, I kind of anticipated that when I realized I wasn't going to be on the episode, I wrote all these these 17 sort of hot takes that I had, some of which I thought were would be sort of more entertaining rather than I necessarily believed them myself. But I thought they'd all be a little bit uh, fun to discuss. I didn't necessarily expect a 10-second discussion that just, you know, was everybody disagreeing with whatever I said and then moving on. But again, at the end of the day, I understand you can't discuss everything for 10 minutes. So, And I do think everyone on the episode did a good job. I just want to point that out. I think that Tracy, Sam, Rex, and Rita all did a fantastic job. So, so kudos to everybody. But I will also point out too, though, that, and I think Sam even said it, like once they each got to their own respective hot takes, you'll notice there was quite a bit of explanation to go along with each hot take and not necessarily, you know, all mine, they just read them and that is what it was. And then they pretty much just disagreed with everything and boom, we go, or they agreed with it. Some of them. Uh, So I will just say, you know, bummer that I didn't get the chance to explain some of mine, but who knows, maybe coming up some point, I'll be able to do that. I I don't know if I can jump on the, the, uh, live, uh, video call that we do every month now for some of our patrons, but, uh, maybe this month in April, I'll try to get on there and I can bring my list of all my, uh, hot takes and discuss them with whatever hosts, um, are going to be on. So I'm going to try to plan to do that. So 
if you're not a member of our Patreon and you want to hear my <laughs> why I think that you know Hermione is my, my one of my least favorite characters, why I think Lupin and Hermione are both incredibly overrated, why Prisoner of Azkaban is definitely the worst movie. Um, and of course, the most important thing, uh, people need to chill on the houses and everything. So um, if you want to hear my thoughts on all of those things, maybe check out the live video chat that we're going to be doing this April. I'll, I'll try really hard to be on there. And, and just in case you didn't know, all of those are recorded and they are stored and you can watch them at any time on our Patreon, I believe. So it's it's not like it's a, a one and done, you're there or you miss it type of thing. Uh, I'm, I know for sure we record them and I'm I'm like 99% sure that we have those so that you can view them later. So keep that in mind. It's not something that you have to be there at that exact time uh, to experience it. Anyway, that's kind of all I wanted to say. Just hop in and give my two cents here a little bit because I feel like, I don't know. Uh, like I said, I'm a little bummed I wasn't on the episode, but I do feel like it turned out really good. And so, yeah, thank you very much for listening. And that's really all I wanted to say. Okay, back to everybody else. How many hot takes did we do? Uh, uh, 17, 17 plus, plus 18 would oh, be 18, yeah. 35. Yeah. 35. There you go. These were significantly less uh, hot than I thought they were going to be. Thought we'd, I thought we would be more at each other's throats. Well done, team. We're much more understanding of each other than most people. <laughs> I try sometimes. <laughs> I think we got a little heated in that one... In, I, was that my hairy hot take? Same. Yeah, I just wanted more textual evidence. Like I was just like I was like a lot of it's just that's how I feel. <laughs> cool. But thank you so much, Rita, for joining us for this episode. It was a blast. It was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks, Rita. You're welcome back anytime. This was really thank cool. You were amazing. Yeah. Um, and we mentioned this earlier. Our next episode is going to be a chap revisit Princess Tale take part two. Boom. Excited to hear the rest of that one. Four and a half hour podcast turned into two parts. Yeah. <laughs> Should be a good one. Uh, you, just like Rita, can be on the show. Visit our website, alohomorapodcast.com, and choose Be On The Show. Follow the instructions and send us your audition. You just need a microphone and a pair of headphones. If, if you are chosen to guest host, then we'll walk you through the rest. While you're on our website, be sure to visit the topic submit page to tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about on future episodes. And you can find us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Spotify. We're at MN On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore. You could leave us a voicemail. Uh, leave us a five-star review. Um, we love them. We might read them out. It will let new people find us like... Alexandra! Uh, our website is alohamorapodcast.com. Or you could email us at alohamorapodcast at gmail.com. Another reminder to check out our Patreon. Thanks again to Zalandra for sponsoring this episode. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Um, on our Patreon, you get an ad-free version of Alohomora. Um, you can also be a sponsor for as little as $2 a month. And over there, you'll get Dumbledore's Office, episode sponsoring clips, bonus episodes, and even a private uh, Zoom chat with some of the hosts at once a month. I'm Tracy. I'm Sam. And I'm Rex. Thank you for listening to episode 345 of Aloha Mora. Be contrary. Don't open Dumbledore. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. I love that so much. That was so good. That was an excellent, excellent way to do that.
Alohomora is produced by Tracy Dunstan and edited by Patrick Muslek. It was co-created by Noah Freed and Kat Miller and is brought to you by APWBD LLC. Um, who's up first? That's me. Rex. This is episode, is this episode 345? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just was, I just saw that. I don't know. I wanted to double check. And actually. This is episode. Yeah, Tracy. Just let me just double check. I think I might have the, um, the time, the date wrong too. I apologize. Oh, no problems. April 9th. Yes. Definitely not March 12th. We cannot release it. <laughs> oh, I didn't even like read that far. I probably wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was doing a bunch of these at once. Okay.